Hi, I'm Desiree Roots, and this room sounds great. And then he says, you're too tiny to have that deep of voice. <laughs> if you get to the point where you're no longer nervous, then that means you're not as good as you think you are. I always tell people, I'm, you know, like there's the good witch and the bad witch. I'm the good diva, you know? <laughs> Oh, hello, everybody out there in the podcast community. Thank you for tuning in to This Room Sounds Great. I'm Reese Williams, and we couldn't be more grateful that you chose to listen to us while you are flossing or building model airplanes or what other mindless activity you like to do while you listen to podcasts. We are grateful you chose us. Miss Desiree Roots, hello. Yes, ma'am. Hello. <laughs> I have been so eager to talk to you one-on-one, and so oh I finally gosh. get to ask you all the probing questions that we don't have time for when you're performing. <laughs> exactly, because i got to <laughs> sing the next song. That's right. I'm going to go Barbara Walters on you. Just wait. No, oh, my no. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, it would take entirely too long to tell us everything you've done. I know you're oh a triple gosh. threat with... Uh, performing and singing and dancing and writing and producing and directing uh, but do tell us a little bit about what's been keeping you busy the last few years and and why you're here talking to us today well let's see the last few years if we consider last year <laughs> skip uh yeah it's like Insert skipping the track cricket <laughs> nothing um but trying to keep yourself motivated um, but prior to that, I was concert central. I was traveling. I was doing shows. I was writing shows. Um, I was trying to revamp the uh, production that I wrote, Ella at 100, um, which I'm still doing. So I retitled it Forever Ella. I originally wrote that for Ella's 100th birthday. So we wanted to do something special just to celebrate that centennial. And um, here we are four years later still doing it. So I retitled it Forever Ella. And I'm fortunate to still be able to do it and can hopefully continue to do it forever. And tell us a little bit about that show. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Um, I have a 17-piece band. and That's bigger than the fan band when you're here. I, know. <laughs> I know. Which I didn't think was possible. <laughs> and I, I literally got to handpick some of my most favorite musicians in RVA um, to share the stage with me. It's just amazing. Of course, Dr. Weldon Hill is, is on piano, Mike Hawkins on bass, Carl Lester Ill on guitar, Billy Williams on drums. That's my core group. And then I have one, two, three, four saxophones, three trumpets, and three trombones. And then I have... Um, three other artists to portray Frank Sinatra, Louis Armstrong, and Nat King Cole. Is this the show that you just did that sold out a bunch of shows? Or was that just even a different no, show? That was that a different was, show. That was just Desiree having a great time outside and coming out of COVID and everybody come out and play. I was blown away. Um, I loved the, watching that unfold. Oh, my gosh. Added another date. Added yes, another date. Yes. Added another date. And when when they initially called me and said, you know, the three o'clock show, and I was like, absolutely, yes, did you have to ask? And then he says, well, if we sell out, would you consider doing a second show? And I said, absolutely, not thinking it was going to sell out in one day. And so then they added the second show. That sold out in two days. And I walked in, because I also teach voice lessons and piano at the center. So I walked in to teach, and Ryan, who works at the front desk, he said, so, Desiree, uh, how do you feel about doing a breakfast show? And I was like, 
seriously, dude. And he goes, no, I'm seriously. I'm serious. Your your 530 show just sold out. And I said, tickets just went on sale. <laughs> I started crying. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was like, oh my gosh, these people snatched up these tickets. And so, isn't it great to be loved? Oh my gosh, <laughs> it was such an awesome feeling. And so, here comes the 12 30 show. And I said, we're actually going to do three shows in one day. And then someone asked me, are you going to do a 9 p.m. show? I was like, listen, people. <laughs> Your bedtime is 7 p.m. after all those shows. Oh my gosh, but it was it was so amazing. It so warmed my heart. I'm always humbled when I walk out and see a sea of people who have bought tickets to hear me. Because in my mind, I'm still thinking, you spent your money to to come hear me, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And no, um, you don't have like full on imposter syndrome, do you? I mean, I recently <sighs> listened to an interview with the singer of The Roots, and he was so candid. Him. He was candid about saying, "Yeah, I've recently gone to therapy, and I find out I have a little imposter syndrome." And you're thinking, you know, how we view him, and we see his successes, and how he moves us, and all the projects that he's a part of. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it's just it's it's. I stay grounded, I think, because of my family, you know, my 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 immediate family, my children, and then my um, invited family. And it's just the humbleness that, you know, I'm just a little kid from Churchill, you know, that had parents that performed. So I'm always thinking my parents were the superstars, not knowing that. I'm following in their footsteps or trying to, you know, be as great, if not greater than than they were. And I think one of the highlights of my life right now is that my dad is part of the, oh, shoot, I want to make sure I get the name right. Um, Virginia Jazz, The Early Years. It's an exhibit at the Black History Museum. Oh. You have a paint, so there's a painting of you there, too. And so my dad is part of the exhibit, and then my picture is there as well as the community makers. And so to see this unfold, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm in a museum, first of all, period, point blank, period. And I'm in a museum with my dad, who was my muse and my idol. So, you know, that just gives me goosebumps. So it's like that kind of, you know, makes me think, wow. Who, who's that chick? You know. <laughs> well, you're a woman of gratitude too, and I and I know for a fact, even though we haven't had one on one time until mm-hmm. now, I know for a fact this is not anything you'd ever want to take for granted. Ever. Absolutely not. I'm I'm always so humble. I always tell people it's it's great to have God's favor because I truly believe it's favor. Um, because you know, as as Chris Cuomo says, I'm doing more better than I deserve. You know? <laughs> I always think that there's someone else who's greater or someone else who can do better than me or you know and I'm just this humble servant that's trying to mold the clay of an artist so clearly you deserve it (laughs) so given that you are from Churchill I didn't know that what is your take on the Richmond music scene I love it I mean it's so eclectic um we have so much to offer from the 804 it's amazing I'm so proud to say that I am from Richmond Virginia and that this is where it's happening because we have so many artists here that are putting us on the map and so it's like music you know people now are just noticing but I've been noticing this since I was 
12, mm-hmm. you know, from traveling around with my dad and, and watching him in the music scene. So I just think it's amazing. And to see how it's evolving and, and watching these, um, as we say in the jazz community, the young lions come about. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, they're amazing. I mean, I listen to some of these kids and I'm like, first of all, I'm getting old. <laughs> And secondly, they just make me want to go in the shed and practice for a thousand hours. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're amazing. We just had Vibe House last week. Yes. Yes. I I didn't watch it like the night of, Mm -hmm. but I watched it after. I think I watched it twice. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Very reminiscent of the fan band for me is just the camaraderie, the support. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own um, endeavors, but they're all supportive of it. They've got big goals, but they seem very reasonable. Mm -hmm. Um, At this point, there doesn't seem to be any, you know, huge egos. It just, and they spoke so highly of everybody from the fan band that they knew that Mm -hmm. that they consider their idols, which was cute for me because, you know, I know everybody is established musicians and artists. And so it's so lovely to see the young ones think of you. You guys exactly. as the great ones. And, exactly. Oh, it's just so wonderful. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my gosh, really? <laughs> no, it's so well-deserved. So yes. well-deserved. And of course, uh, either Robert or Hassan had to bring up Spratly. And so, of course, I, I said, whoo The Spratster. <laughs> the Spratster. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's so amazing. Now, do you, I mean, you must perform hundreds of shows a year, right? I mean, you must. Yeah, until last year. Until, right, right. <laughs> just with between you know, uh, acting and singing and dancing and then and then producing. Do you have any pre-show rituals? I do. I listen to, I, I always put some music on that's in the vein of what I'm about to do. So um, if I'm about to do a jazz set, then I'm more than likely listening to Carmen McRae or Ella or Nina Simone or some Nancy. Um, and every now and then I'll throw in a, Lena Horn or Natalie Cole. Um, if I'm, I, I actually sing quite a bit in church, um, which is even amazing to me because I hadn't been in a choral setting or a choir, I think since 1984. Mm-hmm. And um, a girlfriend of mine, Michelle Lightfoot, is the minister of music at First African Baptist Church. And I love Michelle's playing. I love the way she teaches, the way she conducts the choir, just everything about her aesthetic when it comes to gospel music. And I found out that she was the new minister of music there. And so I went tipping over there to listen because I had been singing um, guest soloists at different Catholic churches or Episcopal churches, you know, so it's very structured music. Mm -hmm. So every now and then I would say, I I need to go to a gospel church to get my dessert. (laughs) And I found out she was there and so I was like, oh, my gosh. And I kept tip, tiptoeing over there. And then I f- eventually ended up joining the church. And then we ended up making a new choir. So now I've gone from not singing in a choir since 1984 to because of the pandemic being like one of the main praise teams that sings every Sunday for virtual. I was just going to say, yeah, that must be yeah. virtual. Mm-hmm. So it's been virtual. And, and I've been but it's been such a blessing um, to be able to do that because we're ministering to people who otherwise would not have that, you know, their soul would not get fed. So, and it's been feeding my soul as well. So that's my ritual, you know, for church music. When I'm, when I'm um, doing classical, I love listening to um, 
Jesse Norman or Kathleen Battle and, of course, Leontine Price. Um, you are well-rounded. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> so, though, you know, just kind of getting in that vein, but being a mom, you, you you can't float away but so much <laughs> because you're eventually going to hear, Mom, you know. <laughs> It's so true. The hands under the door. Yes. What are you doing? (laughs) Well, I'm going to play a clip so everybody can get a little taste of what you sound like. Okay. And I believe we've chosen Blackbird. Yes. And speaking of being a mom, there is a tie-in to this. Exactly. My son, Tavares Montaña Centeno. Tavares started playing guitar when he was eight. And it was by chance because he had... I didn't realize he really really was into music I mean both of my kids um I have have three um but my two youngest have literally been on my hip and backstage kids and so one day Tavares came in the bedroom he's like mommy I want a guitar I was like okay sure just totally disregarded it um I guess maybe a month later he said mommy I really want to get a guitar and I was like all right baby sweet sure okay totally disregarded it And I think it may have been about nine months later, and he came in the bedroom, and he sat on the bed, and he went, (sighs) you know, that proverbial sigh. I said, Tavares, what's wrong? And he goes, you're never going to buy me a guitar, are you? And I was like, oh, my Lord Jesus, child. And so I literally packed them both up, and we went to Guitar Center. The guitarist that was playing in my band at the time worked there. And so I took him in and I said, Penn, he wants a guitar, he wants a guitar, thinks he can play guitar. So can we please look at a guitar, you know, and just let it, let him get it out of his system. So Penn was like, oh, sure. So he pulled several out that would fit his and size. And he was how old? He was nine. Okay. Um, and so Penn showed him a chord to play, like, you know, just some strumming chord. And so he was strumming and we went on talking about a gig that we had coming up. And then as I turn my my ear back to Tavares, I noticed that he's inverted this chord. And so I was like, that's not what Penn showed him to play. And so then we went on talking about something else, and then I noticed he added a new note. And so Penn goes, hey, how long has he been playing guitar? I said, "Uh, how long have we been in this store? (laughs) Amazing. And he's literally, he, he just started playing. And so... I said, well, you know, let me let him listen to some music or some things that I like. And so I introduced him to Paul McCartney. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, Taylor. Oh, James Taylor. James Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, Not Taylor Swift. And of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Jimmy- I wish you could see the stink eye. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I would hear him every day in there, you know, on this beautiful acoustic um, guitar that Penn found for him, you know, just kind of noodling around. So I said, maybe, you know, he needs some guitar lessons. So I started taking guitar and Penn said, well, is there a song that you like that you would like to learn how to play? And he said, yeah, um, Blackbird. And Penn said, what? And he goes, I like to learn Blackbird. And so he kind of humored him to say, okay, you know, we can try it. He learned it within two weeks. That was his first song that he learned on guitar. And so I was like, oh, my Lord. And, you know, there, there, I, I believe that there are several 
professions where people are born and not made. Teachers, mm-hmm. nurses, and true musicians. Because it's just something that comes out of your spirit. This child has it in his spirit. Is that what he wants to do, do you think, at no. this point? Okay. He wants to do sports medicine and talks about <laughs> medical stuff. And maybe uh, uh, one time he was talking about neurological things. And I'm like, okay, but <laughs> but you're a great musician. He also plays violin. He also plays, um, he started tampering with um, bass. Um, he was first chair violin at school. And so, yeah, so 10, so fast forward to a year later, and um, I'm going to do this CD. And he was playing Blackbird in the living room, and I just recorded it to send it to my husband because my husband was on the road at the time. And I said, listen to this song Doris playing. And I posted it, and somebody said, ooh, you guys should record that one day. And so when it came time to do the CD, I was like, hey, you want to play on Mommy's CD? And he was like, okay. It was like no no big deal, just no idea. (laughs) And so like I was telling you earlier, you know, I I was so nervous for him, I think, and more so for me. And so I counted it off several times and it just wasn't right. And then the engineer said, you know, little man, would you like to count it off? And so he goes, okay. And he looked at me and he said, you ready, mommy? And I said, yeah. And he counted it off and the rest is history. They are too cute for words. Here it is. Blackbirds singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arise Your voice has a different register than I've heard you sing in that one. Yeah, that's a deep one. I like it. (laughs) I like that a lot. <laughs> I used to tell people, um, I mean, I, I do have quite a few octaves to my range, but um, people will always comment on my speaking voice in relation to my singing voice. But um, I have a very deep range and I love singing in the basement. Um, I sing the high coloratura stuff as well, but I love singing in the basement. I used to... Um, when people would ask me what was my range, um, and I was like, I don't know. And um, I think we were in North Carolina. Um, I was, oh, I was about, no, Roanoke. I was about to sing with the symphony. Mm-hmm. And we were just in the green room, you know, talking about people in different octaves and, and things that they like to sing. And so um, I told the conductor, I said, well, I love singing um, this Negro spiritual, Soon I Will Be Done. And he says, oh, that's one of my favorites. He says, "You do you have that rich contralto? <laughs> and I said, well, and I guess I was kind of cocky back then. I said, well, I don't know. You tell me. And then I just went, soon I will be done with the troubles of the world. And he just stood there like. And then he says, you're too tiny to have that deeper voice. <laughs> Seeing you sing that is like if you've ever watched a voice actor when they go into a cartoon or a character voice, you just it because I've seen you perform so many times, (laughs) you know, with the other ranges. It's Uh like that sound is coming out of her face. (laughs) How is that possible? That's incredible. Thank you. My mom loved when I sang in, in my lower register. 
I like that. Yeah, she really liked it. You mentioned before a lot of the musicians that you like listening to, that you mm-hmm. feel inspired by. What was the very per- first piece of music you ever owned, and what format was it on? Do you remember? Oh, my gosh. The first album that I remember falling in love with, um, and I don't know if I bought it. I think my older brother bought it, but I claimed it. It was from a movie that Gladys Knight made. And I think it's maybe the only movie or one of the few movies she was in, and it's called Pipe Dreams. Don't know that one. It's and she has this song um, that's in the movie, and I fell in love with it. And I think I was maybe 12, 12 or 13, but I loved the song. Um, um, and it, I think it was either called Pipe Dreams or Everyone Has Pipe Dreams. Um, and it's just this beautiful, you know, lyrical, everyone has pipe dreams. Yes, everyone I know, looking for, waiting for, hoping for that rainbow in the snow. I fell in love with that Mm. entire album. And so I bought that. And then um, I think the next album that I wore out was uh, The Wiz. Oh, yes. Yeah, the Broadway um, um, production of The Wiz, because that was the first production that I was in. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I wore it out trying to learn all the songs. Mm-hmm. Well, and what a lovely uh, foreshadowing, you know, because you have your album, Don't Ever Stop Dreaming. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and with such a powerful message, you know, something that uh, I've only asked one other guest, were you raised with that sort of um, confidence and and power? Or is that something you dug deep and found for yourself? I think, well, my parents were both performers. My dad was Sister Rosetta Tharp's music director and and pianist. And my mom was a Rosette. She was one of her backup singers. So that's how they met. And they traveled all over the, at, at the time, you know, 50 states. We didn't have the, uh, the extra two. <laughs> and, um, and so that's how they met. And then they got married and settled. Um, my mom stopped traveling once she started having babies. It's five of us. And so I grew up in a household that was just full of music. You know, there fun time for me was sitting in the living room with my dad making up songs or singing goofy stuff. And um, I always, I started singing in the church choir, I think when I was four. So I think I was always in somebody's microphone. Um, And then my dad played for years at the Abbey that used to be on Robin Hood Road. And uh, he would let me sit in with him and I sang... um, God didn't make the little green apples and it don't rain in the Annapolis in the summer. I couldn't say Indianapolis in the Annapolis in the summer. So he would let me sit in with him, you know, if, if mom let me go with him to a gig on the weekend. And I just I thought that was the norm, you know, to perform. Mm-hmm. But I never really thought about making it a career until I did The Wiz, and I think that's when the theater bug bit me. And I was like, okay, I kind of like this. And then the kicker for me was, um, a lot of people don't know this, I hate crowds. I absolutely, I just, Mm -hmm. I used to break out in like eczema hives. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my girlfriends says, how can you hate crowds but you perform? And I said, well, because I'm up on this stage. Right, right. 
and they're out there. Right. So you big know. difference. Yeah. Big yeah. difference. But I used to have like crazy anxiety before um, performances. And my mom says, well, that's what keeps you humble. If you get to the point where you're no longer nervous, then that means you're not as good as you think you are. So my nerves are always a wreck. Wise woman. <laughs> Wise woman. Well, speaking of, you know, don't ever stop dreaming. What is Desiree's dream? Like what is, you know, you already live so spherically with how you express yourself mm-hmm. and you have an incredible family and, you know, what, what is your, and I guess, I guess your goalpost probably changes for success in your career, but it really does. You know, where are you now and what do you think that next goalpost is? Initially, you know, before I met my husband and and got married and had babies, um, I was thinking I was going to do the whole New York thing. You know, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to do this and I'm going to break off and get all these parts. And my first New York audition was for Rent. And at the time, um, the actress Frenchie was playing the part of Joanne. Mm Mm-hmm. And Frenchie is like, what, 6'2 and 200-something yeah. pounds, maybe. And so I went in um, for my audition, and I I got five callbacks. So I'm, like, super excited. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get this part. Um, I get in there, and, you know, New York scene, you walk in. They don't look at you. They're mm. looking at your picture, and they're like, okay, what are you singing for us? So I told them what I was going to sing, and, and I started singing. And I, I will never forget this. He looked up at me as I was singing, and he went. And so I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm like, okay, what is this look? Is that disappointment? Is that astonishment? Exactly. What is that? And so I stopped because typically you sing your 16 bars and you're done. And so he did like this for me to keep singing. So I sang the whole song. I think I was singing um, Aretha Franklin's Do Right Woman. Oof. Um, and so I sang the whole song. And so then he says, how old are you? And I can't remember how old I was. And then he says, how tall are you? And I said, um, I'm six feet in my mind. And so you made him laugh. (laughs) And so he says, so here's my dilemma. You know who's playing the role of Joanne right now? And I said, yes, I do. Frenchie's amazing. And he says, so if I close my eyes, I picture this very tall, statuesque person. And then I open my eyes and you're just this little shit. And I said, stinker. And I didn't know what to say. So I said, um, thank you. So, so when the audience comes in, we'll give everyone a, a comfortable blindfold. Exactly. <laughs> there and we go. So problem I solved. I was like, oh my gosh. And so, you know, he in essence told me I was just too little for the part. And I'm like, okay. And then the next thing I auditioned for was Carmen. And, um, and I went in and I sang the Segadilla, you know. And I got the same thing. Oh, but you're just so tiny. No. You know? So I'm like, okay, really? And I called my voice teacher boohooing because I was like, if anybody understands what I'm going through, it's her. Because um, my voice teacher was Dr. Karen Floyd Savage. And she's like, maybe (laughs) (laughs) 4'11". And she has this big, huge voice that's bigger than life. Comes from her toes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
And so she's like, and she's from Birmingham, Alabama. So she's like, well, Desiree, sometimes people just, you know. <laughs> oh, and it stinks. They've got that particular vision and they can't yeah. budge from it. And so I was so disappointed, but I was constantly working here, you know, in the theater scene and doing concerts and regional stuff. I, I performed in um, like pretty much, you know, the eastern seaboard and and I, I was like you know who needs broadway when i when i can perform on broad street you know <laughs> i've got my own broadway on broad street in richmond virginia that's right we're so beautifully under the radar yes yes and then to find out that a lot of new york performers were coming here to perform you know because it's a, it's a national regional theater mm-hmm that's known everywhere so i'm like okay you know i can i can you're playing with with this yeah Yeah. you're playing with the best of the best exactly Mm -hmm. and so and i still got to travel i still had engagements all over the place and so and i traveled up until i think the kids um started well i was homeschooling so that i could travel i was just gonna say you weren't far from them that's great so i i could travel with them and then um, once they got older and started doing regular school, and I was like, okay, gonna maybe do something a little different. And then my priorities changed. It wasn't about being, mm-hmm. you know, the Broadway star or the big singer. It was simply about being the best mom I could be and doing whatever was needed for the kids. Mm-hmm. And when and you did um, perform, making sure it was with people that cared about you and you could trust each other. and Exactly. And it was right. And it was exactly. a right fit. And it felt right. Because, you know, the um, I have so many friends in the industry that, you know, do the Broadway thing or do the TV and whatnot. And, and they all are like, oh, we want to be like you. And I'm like, we trade places for <laughs> maybe just a week, you know, <laughs> not too long, just a week. Mm-hmm. Give me my babies back. Just a break. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it, it just turned into being the best mom. And now it's more so just being the best role model. And and what legacy I'm going to leave? It's so them. important. You're shaping. Mm-hmm. You're shaping citizens yes. of tomorrow. The yes. people who are going to take care of us. Yes. So thank you for doing a good job. Exactly. We appreciate it and caring about it. We exactly. really appreciate that. <laughs> exactly. There are a lot of people who you know it just happens, and then there are plenty of people who thank goodness they take their job very seriously. Exactly. And I am grateful for it. Exactly. <laughs> that includes teachers, parents, yes. anybody who yes. yes, when you're in the presence of a kid and you are conscious of, of how you're affecting them, thank you. Exactly. Kudos. Exactly. <laughs> of all the platforms you've been on, what has been some memorable shows for you? That's something I've always wanted to ask you and haven't been able to. Oh and, my gosh. And what for you know, was there someone mm. special in the audience or was it a, a triumph for you? I have one of my favorite stories um, when it comes to just being a performer. Um, there was a friend of mine. He, we performed together. Um, oh shoot, at Bush Gardens. I did the whole Bush Gardens. in Williamsburg. Yes, yeah, that um, was my first job when I was fifteen. Oh my gosh, I was I just so talking love about it. It. Yes. culottes and a bonnet. <laughs> I made cotton candy and popcorn. I loved it. <laughs> I sang in the Sunlight Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun. And um, and the band was amazing. As a matter of fact, they were so amazing. This was the only band that was recorded. They sent us to, the stu- to a studio to record the sets that we did. And then we made a CD 
that was then sold, produced and sold at all the Bush Gardens nationwide. Wow. Yeah, and it was the Sunlight Orchestra. So um, one of my friends, I was performing at Vitello's on Broad Street, and um, and he brought his parents to hear me sing because he used to always say, Desiree, you're my most favorite singer ever. I was like, whatever, Graham. Blush, blush. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, and so his parents were in town. They had been divorced for maybe 20 years, and so... He brought mom, his brother brought dad, you know, to have dinner, to hear me sing. I was like, oh, that's sweet, you know. About maybe two weeks later, they came back, um, because I was doing a whole month. They came back two weeks later to hear me sing again, and, you know, with the family. And mom and dad are looking kind of cozy, so I'm like... (laughs) Okay. Reunited. Exactly. And so um, I sang this song called uh, Second Time Around. And, um, and you know, didn't think anything of it. I just loved the song at the time. Um, my, my pianist that was playing with me, I loved the way he played it. And I said, you know what, let's do Second Time Around. So I sang that song. So I was performing there maybe four months later. And the parents showed up without the kids. And they requested second time around. And I was like, okay. So I sang it for them. And then about, I would say maybe six months after that, um, I was there doing a special one night only something. And um, the whole family came back. And they had this beautiful bouquet of yellow roses on the table. So I was like, oh, the, the, you know, they must be celebrating. Mm-hmm. And so the dad sent a $20 bill up and requested second time around again. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, that's their song. You know, love is lovelier the second time you call. Like a friendly home the second time you fall. Uh, oh, I forget the words. And so at intermission, um, they came up to the stage with these flowers. They were for me. <gasps> oh. With an Ella Fitzgerald chick web collection that I had want. I, I was like coveting this and I couldn't afford it because it was like an eight CD collection for a hundred dollars or something. So the flowers were for me with this CD collection. And they told me that my music had healed whatever was torn and they had gotten married that Friday before they came to see me. They had gotten remarried after 20 years of divorce. Two decades. I cried so bad. And I was like, no, 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 don't cry. You gotta do another set. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've just never forgotten that. What an honor. And I thought to myself, you know, I could do this for the rest of my life. Because for me, I, I just, I believe that music makes the world go round. And when you touch somebody's spirit and you touch somebody's soul like that, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. I've done my job. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my favorite moments. Um, my, I have so many favorite shows. I absolutely love doing Once on This Island. I was T-Moon. Um, I loved doing uh, Carolina Change which was like a, that's the one I won Best best Actress in a Musical with the Richmond Theater Critics Circle. Mm-hmm. That one was like a um, an operetta because there's not a lot of dialogue. It was a lot of singing. And Caroline's part was, that kicked my tail. 
I was like, oh, Lord Jesus. How many hours a night is that one? It, it was it was about a two hour show. Mm. It wasn't that long, but the songs were so dramatic mm-hmm. and so intense, especially the 11 o'clock number. Um, it was like a tearjerker. I had to make myself cry. Um, and then Color Purple. Oh. That song, that that show was just magical. I mean, people would come up to us at the end of the show, and it was like life changing because women related to Celie's story, and to see how much they related to that, it's like, oh my goodness! And then making that connection is yeah. priceless. And then my last favorite, which was a role that. Actually, I did not have on my radar because I was like, I'll probably never do that role was um, Dream Girls, Effie White. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when I got that part and I was like, OK, I'm really doing this. And that so many songs that are just like, oh, OK, <laughs> between the end, I am telling you and, and I am changing. So I've, I've you. had some roles that were just amazing, you know, and, and I couldn't be more grateful and thankful and just and it humbled shows. to be able to do it. And it shows. <laughs> it does. It really does. And, and, you know, every endeavor that you've been on the show with, like we keep joking, ah, oh, you're just with all these bands so you can keep exactly. coming on show sessions. <laughs> um, that is the beauty is you like what you do. You clearly mm-hmm. love what you do. Mm-hmm. You clearly have confidence enough that you, you know, keep moving forward and you like doing it. But I love that you're not just this person you command the room or you you know you you demonstrate that you're there without mm. being pushy about it or or overstated about it so it's you're you're achieving I used it perfectly to tell people because um, <laughs> my my email name and and my um everything for years has been diva roots but I always tell people I'm you know like there's the good witch and the bad witch I'm the good diva <laughs> You know? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being sassy. Exactly. No. I'm the nice diva. Not one know. bit. <laughs> so what does the summer look like for you now that things are opening up besides Shaco Sessions in Hardywood? <laughs> I'm so excited because Virginia Rep is reopening. Um, and I am doing the premiere show. Which for, is? Which is Ella and her fellow Frank. Oh. And it's it's a concert made in heaven. The concept is Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra get together in heaven and not knowing that they're going to see each other. And it's just this concert made in heaven. So it's an evening of music on stage with, you know, a little acting, some um, an amazing set costumes. You know, I'm so excited. And um, of course, I'm doing Ella. And uh, Scott Wichman, who's a Richmond favorite, is going to be Frank Sinatra. Okay. And I think we're going to have a seven-piece band on stage. And it's going to open July, previews July 7th, opens July 9th. And it's going to run Thursdays through Sundays with two shows on Saturdays until September 12th. Wow. Yeah months of goodness so that's my summer (laughs) where can people go for more information to find out where you are and what you're doing they can go to desireroots.com they can go to varep.org virginiarep.org they can go to vajazz.org 
I think that's it. And you're very- and of course they can follow me on Facebook. I was just going to say you're very active yes. on social media. Mm-hmm. Social media, um, Desiree Roots on Facebook. Um, I am Desiree Roots on Instagram. Uh, the Diva Roots on Twitter. You tweet? I, I, I don't even. I I've really, never tweeted in my life. I occasionally. <laughs> my daughter was like, "Mom, you're not really like. If you have less than a hundred thousand followers, then you know you're not relevant. Nobody's like, listening. Nobody's listening. I think I have like four hundred twelve. <laughs> <laughs> But on Facebook, I have the maximum followers, you know. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this is cool. She's doing Facebook, right, daughter? (laughs) She's in the other room laughing. Oh, well, I'm so glad we finally got to do this. This is such a joy. And I I love watching you do this. I love that you love us and you love the arts and you're so supportive and you're it's a joy to watch you enjoy what we love to do. Thank so thank you. you for everything that you do. <laughs> thank you. And I'm never going to censor myself either. I, <laughs> I, it is very easy to kind of watch back and think, oh, I should have. But no, you know what? Because you know, it's just real. It's so sincere. It's it really real. is. <laughs> That's it's truly sincere. Well, we cannot wait to see you here in the studio. And Yay. then two days after that, you're at Hardywood, at Hardywood. Uh, with beer and dogs and all the good stuff that comes along with that. <laughs> and we cannot wait. Thank you so much. Thank you, Reese. Thank you, Bright Mom. It's to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to us for the podcast on all the usual suspects. And of course, be sure to tune in every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. YouTube, Facebook, Twitch for Shaco Sessions Live. That's a wrap.